Thank you to Anthea and the worship team. Thanks to Jared on the drums, making his uh, first appearance on the stage. Thanks for helping us out this morning, Jared. We appreciate it. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, please open to the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 this morning. We closed out the book of Nehemiah last week. We closed out with this thought after all is said and done, after the temple had been rebuilt, the walls of the city have been rebuilt, God's reputation is being made great, His fame is being made, being made great across that part of the world, uh, the hearts of the people uh, were still sadly lacking in their attention towards God. And so after all these great things had happened, the question we we're wanting to ask ourselves then was, what's the condition of our heart? Where, where is our heart? After all is said and done, how's your heart? And uh, over the next three weeks, uh, we want to have a, just a look at this and unpack it a bit more. And so we're in Mark, Mark chapter 12, and uh, we're looking at what's called the great commandment. Um, and it's where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. So, uh, so if you'll turn there uh, to Mark chapter 12, we're starting out in verse 28 this morning. Um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and uh, he has... Uh, some of the leaders coming to challenge him on what he's been teaching. He's got the chief priests, he's got the elders, he's got the, the scribes. They come to him and they start to challenge him on, uh, on what he's teaching. He, uh, he shares a, a parable with them and he, he unpacks what he's trying to say from uh, chapter 12, um, from verse 1 till about verse 14. Basically says to them, you're rejecting the one that God's given you, which is me. I'm the one God's given me. You are rejecting that person. Um, and verse 12 uh, ends out by saying, And they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that, they, that he had told a parable against them. So they left him and they went away. Then Jesus gets challenged in verse 13 by some of the Pharisees and another group called the Herodians. Uh, they ask him about paying tax. He gets challenged again by the Sadducees about life um, after death. Uh, what would that look like? And, uh, and then we find here in verse 28, one of the scribes coming to, uh, to ask Jesus a question. Now the scribe, his job was to interpret the law. So what you would do is he would go into the temple or the synagogue, wherever it may be. The scribe would read from the law. He would read that it says, keep the Sabbath holy. And, uh, and then he would tell the people what that meant. So he'd say, the, Bible, uh, the, the scriptures, the law says, keep the Sabbath holy. Therefore, you may not work on the Sabbath. You may not take more than a thousand steps away from your place of residence on the Sabbath. You may not cook on the Sabbath. You may not, you may not, you may not, you may not. So they made a whole lot of other laws so that you could keep the Sabbath holy. And they would explain to the people those laws. But not only did they expand on the law, the scribes were also in a habit of trying to condense the law into its smallest part. So they often had conversations like, what's the most important law? And basically what they were trying to figure out is, which law should I keep and which ones can I break? And then they would say, well, if we take all of the law and try and condense it, what would that look like? And it was a conversation that happened over and over again. Whenever they got together, they had these conversations. It's kind of like us having our conversations about, does God know everything? Does he know that some people are going to be saved? Some are not going to be saved. If he knows that, why does he create people who he knows are not going to be saved? And kind of all these questions. And, and you keep having the questions. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the conversation goes on. And one day when God wraps up history, he says, you know what, you missed the most important thing and then he tells us and we all go oh, okay we got it now we understand because now we've got God's perspective on it so in this case one of the scribes comes up to Jesus and uh, starts to ask a question to him so verse 28 is where it starts out one of the scribes 
came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered, Jesus answered them well, all the questions he'd been asked, and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? All right. Now, up until this point, some of the scribes and some of the religious leaders had tried to answer that question. One of the most famous Pharisees of all time was a Pharisee by the name of Hillel. And uh, he was once asked by a convert to Judaism to instruct him on the whole law while he stood on one foot. Now, I'm not sure if it was the convert standing on one foot or if the convert said to Hillel, you stand on one foot and you teach me the whole law. Now, you go, why would he do that? Well, imagine how short my sermon would be if I preached the whole thing on one foot. Do you get it? Fortunately, I'm not going to do that today. But this is what Hillel said to him. What you hate for yourself, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. Now go and learn. Done. That's what Hillel said. Another one of the teachers, Akeba, he said this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest general principle in the law. Very close to what Jesus said, isn't it? Another Simon the Righteous, he said this, on three things stands the, wor- the world, the law, on the worship, and on the works of love. And later on, Augustine would sum it all up, and he would say this, love God and do as you like. That's it. So what's the most important law? Love God and do whatever you like. Because obviously, then you're going to do what pleases God, the one whom you love. And so Jesus answers the question in verse 29, the most important is this. And he says something that they weren't expecting because he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is called the Shema. Shema in Hebrew means to hear. And it starts out with the Shema, the word. It says, Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel. It means, listen, Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, this is important because the Jews would open up their daily prayers with the Shema. Every time there was a, a, a gathering, a feast, or some tradition that they would celebrate together, going to the, the temple, going to the synagogue, it would always start with this prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When Jesus answers the question with the Shema first, it's almost like he's saying, I'm going to answer the question, but the answer that I give you is going to become the law itself. I'm not just telling you what is the most important. I'm framing this in a way that its importance is going to be underlined, and this now is the most important. I'm not giving you commentary, but I'm telling you what's important. It would be like if today I was teaching about praying, and at the end of my sermon, I said to you, well, I'm going to give you an example of a prayer to pray. And I open up the prayer with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then I put in my example of a prayer. You would walk out here going, he's framed this in a way that it is almost as important as the Lord's Prayer. Because I'm used to, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You'd be used to that. You'd go, this is a very important prayer. Some of you would walk away going, that's total heresy. I can't believe he just did that. I can't believe he just put his prayer up at the same level as the Lord's Prayer. Or I can't believe he doesn't know the rest of the Lord's Prayer because it's not just our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's a whole extra part that goes with it. But Jesus starts it with the Shema. And basically what he's saying is, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not only answering your question, I'm giving you a whole new set of rules that you're going to have to live by. And this is what Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
And the guy's going, okay, got it. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus continues. Because the guy's asked, what is the most important? Jesus answers with the most important. And then he says this, the second is this. But I didn't ask for two, but I'm giving you two. See, that's what grace is. You're only expecting this much, and Jesus gives you a whole lot more. Undeserved. Here it comes. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The hearers understand that. The hearers are going, we get it. We get the love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, that one. We get the love the neighbor. You see, when they hear love the neighbor, you know what they're thinking? They're thinking this. I, I love my Jewish neighbor as I love myself. That's so easy. It's so easy for me to love Jews. I just, I love the Jews. You know, we're, we're this wonderful family. We worship together. We, at the temple, we offer sacrifices together. Everybody else is a baddie. Yeah, but we, we're the goodies. So we love each other. In Luke's account where Jesus is unpacking this, he starts the guy then asks, but who's my neighbor, remember? And then Jesus tells the story of the Samaritan who helps the, the Jewish man who went up to the temple to worship, got beaten up on the road, and then this man, he's known as the good Samaritan. And, and, and those who are hearing realize that your neighbor is not just the one who believes the same as you, but your neighbor is probably the one who doesn't believe what you believe. You see, it's so easy for us to love those who think the same as us. It's so easy for us to have an affinity towards those in the workplace who are Christians and who, you know, kind of encourage us with the scriptures every day and tweet us a prayer or WhatsApp us a, a devotion. It's so easy to love those. But what about people who have a different worldview to us? What about people who don't worship the same God? What about people whose values are different to yours, whose, whose beliefs about truth and false are different to ours? What about that? Because we too, like the Jews, find it difficult to express love to people like that. You say, well, I mean, what does that mean, Matt? It means this. When Jesus says to his hearers, hear, O Israel, and he starts with the word hear, it assumes do. If you were a Jewish person and somebody starts out with hear, they understand that if I'm hearing, I'm doing kind of parents you assume the same thing when you tell your children to do something and then they don't do it and you go to them and you say didn't you hear me right you tell your child to take the dishes to the sink you tell your children to clean up the bedroom you tell them to stop watching tv you tell them to do homework whatever you've told your children to do you put it in the blank i've told my children to blank they didn't do it and so i ask them didn't you what a silly question parents you should be asking them why didn't you do it because you know they heard you, right? So why did you ask, why didn't you hear me? Because you assumed that in the hearing, they would be doing. If you were Jewish, that's the understanding. I have not heard until I have done. I have not loved God until I have expressed my love to. I've not heard what Jesus said until I express it. Once I express it, then I have heard. Once I express love to my neighbor, then I have heard. Jesus says your neighbor is not only the one who believes the same as you, your neighbor is probably the one who doesn't believe what you believe. He doesn't have the same values. She doesn't um, accept the same things about truth that you accept. Until you express love to that person, you've not really loved them. You, don't, you haven't really heard what Jesus said. That's the truth. That's, what, that's what's being unpacked over here. So the scribe says to him, you're right. Teacher, you have truly said 
that he is one and that there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. You see, there were times in the Old Testament where the prophets would say to the people that sacrifice and offering God is desired way more. Sorry, uh, sacrifice and offering God is not desired as much as he's desired obedience and mercy and justice. Because you can easily bring your sacrifice and drop it in the collection bag. You can easily bring your sacrifice and burn it at the altar and then walk away completely different and walk away and show no mercy and show no justice to your fellow man. So he says, you're right, Jesus. You've said what is right. I get it. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. It's kind of the same thing happening over here that happened when Jesus asked his disciples, who do they say that I am? And Peter stands up and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies and he says, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. This is a similar situation. This man, he's clicking on over here. Oh, it's not about all the laws. It's, there's something more. It's, Love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. And love my neighbor. Not just there, and love my neighbor as I love myself. Jesus, you've answered correctly, and he interprets it, taking some of the teachings of the scribes and the teachings of the prophets, and and he puts it together, and Jesus says, you're not far. Now watch this. Jesus could be telling him, you're not far, because the kingdom of heaven is close, and, and you're about to enter in. You are, the kingdom of heaven is knocking on the door of your heart, and you're about to enter in. You keep asking the questions you're asking. Some of you, uh, you're here today and you're, you're seeking, you're on a journey with Christ and uh, on a journey with church. You might not have uh, become a Christian. If somebody says to you, uh, you know, are you a Christian? You'd probably say, ah, I'm a good person. If somebody said to you, um, have you committed your life to Christ? You'd go, no, no, I'm not that far. You know, I'm not like those guys. But if somebody said, did you go to church? You'd go, yep. And they go, why do you go to church? You go, because I don't know, I'm, I'm interested in what's being said at the moment. I'm I'm trying to, I'm asking some questions, right? You're like this guy. This guy over here, he's asking the questions. He's engaging. And Jesus says this, you keep asking, the, keep asking the questions because the kingdom of heaven is near, right? Keep going. God's speaking to you. So if you're one of those who are asking questions, God is speaking to you. That's what he's doing. He's trying to show himself to you. So keep yourself in a place where God can do that, right? Later on, Jesus says this. Oh, sorry, then, then then it also could mean that Jesus is looking at him and he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is close to you because the one who's standing in front of you is the one who's ushering in the kingdom. Do you get that? Can you imagine being this guy? You're looking for truth. It's like Pilate when he says to Jesus, what is the truth? Uh, Is this true that you say you're the king of the Jews? And Jesus looks at him and says, "Uh, it is true. And Pilate looks back at Jesus and says, what is truth? And the one standing in front of you said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can you see that? Imagine, imagine being Pilate. You ask, you ask the personification, the manifestation of truth. You ask, what is truth? How blind you have to be. It's like looking straight into a spotlight and going, what is light? You see, that's exactly what happened over here. And so this man is so close, yet he doesn't know it. Jesus says uh, in the Gospel of John and, and in other places, he says, if you obey me, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So we try to have a look at all the commands of Jesus, and what we find is this. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, uh, with all your mind and all your strength. Right, we've got that one. 
And the second is, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But later on in John, John chapter 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says this. He says, a new command I'm giving to you. You see, for Jews, like I said to you, they would have understood that love my neighbor probably means love those who are like me. But then Jesus comes and he tells a story and he's like, hey, here's the story. You love people who are not like you. That totally throws them. Jesus is about to inaugurate the church, a new body, his body, into human history. This is something that hasn't been there before. This is not just like Israel. This is a new thing. The spirit will live in those people. And Jesus says this, love one another as I have loved you. By this love, all men will know that you are my disciples. So essentially, Jesus gives three commands. Love God, love your neighbor, love others, and then love each other. Every single one of his commands deal with love. Notice that? When you read the Ten Commandments, it's do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. Jesus, love, love, love. Love. It all comes down to that. Paul will say later on that if you don't have love, you're just a big noise. Right? That's all that you are. And this man over here, he, he gets it. Now, what I want us to have a look at this morning is just to look on heart and soul. Let's just unpack that for a little bit and have a look at what that means. We're not just talking about the physical organ in your body, all right? We're not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the internal man, who you are, right the center of your very being. That's what we're talking about. When God's Word talks about the heart, that's what often it means. I mean, there are times where it, your heart is beating. It's a, you know, an organ in your body. But sometimes God's word says that the spirit will live in your heart, that Jesus is in your heart, or Jesus is in your inner man. Now, that's where we get the idea when we say to people, have you asked Jesus into your heart? That's where we get that from. Now, that doesn't mean that my heart is like a caravan, and Jesus lives in my heart. And then one day when I die, I give my body to science, and somebody who needs a heart, they take my heart. And because Jesus lives in my heart, that person becomes a Christian when they get my heart. Can you see that? That's not what that means. Jesus doesn't live in an organ in your body. That heart that God's word is talking about is the center of who you are. There's some problems with that heart. And we're going to have a look at what those, some of those problems are now this morning. The first one I want to tell you about your heart and my heart is this. Our hearts are evil. Okay, Our hearts are evil. I know you're looking, back, you're looking at me you're going, Preacher, how dare you say that? You don't even know me. You say my heart is evil. This is what God's word says. Proverbs 11 verse 20, the Lord detests those whose hearts are perverse, but delights in those whose ways are blameless. He detests those whose hearts are perverse or evil, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. Quick show of hands, whose ways are blameless? This side. No one, you guys? Anybody over here at the back? Must be somebody at the back. Still no. Guys, blameless. Must be some of you. There's two elders sitting in this bank, three of you. There's got to be no one. You guys? Okay, so if your, if your way is not blameless, it implies that your heart is also wicked. Did you get that? God detests those who have perverse hearts, but he loves those whose ways are blameless. Okay, your heart's not blameless, then, your heart, then you know, if your ways are not blameless, then your heart must be perverse. Which means all of us in this room, except, no, no, all of us in this room, our hearts are evil. Okay, so that's where it starts. We're all, we all come to the cross on an, on an even footing. So it isn't like, well, you know, Matt Francis has been a Christian for so many years. I've only been a Christian for so many years, minus five. So when we actually stand before Jesus, Matt's actually in front of me. 
You know, it's, it's not like that. You know, my, my, my friend was born in this church. They grew up in this church. I only started coming to this church in my 20s. They've got like 25 years ahead of me. So in the line, if the cross is in the front, in the line before the cross, they're 20 years ahead of me. No, no, it's not like that at all. Because when we come to the foot of the cross, we all have evil hearts. That's what it means. We all come at the same place. So we've got that one buttoned down. We come with evil hearts. The second one is that our hearts are deceitful. Listen to Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Not one of, it's not just one of the deceitful things. It's the most deceitful thing. Because it's deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Okay, that means this. If it just said desperately sick, full stop, you'd go, I go to a doctor, I get an antibiotic, my heart is fine. But the next line says, who can understand it? No one. There is no doctor who can fix this. Your heart and my heart, they're deceitful above all things. What does our heart lie about? It lies about the condition of itself. That's what your heart does. Your heart lies to you about the condition of itself. It lies to you and lets you think that you are better than people, other people. It lies to you and it makes you think that your heart is okay. I'm okay. I'm pretty blameless. If there weren't so many people in the room when the pastor asked the question, I would have put up my hand. It lies to us about that. I'm reading a book at the moment called um, Dangerous Callings. It's a book about pastoral ministry. And uh, one of the areas that the author challenges the reader in is this area of the heart. And he says this, Your heart deceives you in the same way that amusement park mirrors reflect who you are. So you go and you stand in front of the amusement park mirror and you stand there and you think, Man, you look good. You've got a perfect V physique. It, I mean, you look like a swimmer. You go, man. You, babe. You're good looking. And then you turn away and you walk past another mirror. But this mirror is perfectly flat. And you look at that mirror and you go, yeah, there must be something wrong with that mirror. And you carry on going. Or perhaps you're the person who you look in the mirror and you go, my goodness. It's like the Oros man in that mirror. I look terrible. But then you walk past another mirror that's a perfectly flat mirror and you go, wow, that, that picture's got it. it physically looks quite good. Man, there must be something wrong with that mirror. And we tell ourselves these lies. Get it? Either we are really good or we're really bad and but the heart lies to us all the time. It's deceitful and it, it lies to us. It makes us believe we are what we're not. Better than what we are, worse than we actually are. The heart lies to us. The heart is sinful. Romans 1 verse 21 says, says, For while they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking or depraved in their thinking, the NIV says, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I hate to tell you this, but your heart is sinful. And no one had to teach your heart that. It just is. Your heart is just evil. Your heart is just deceitful. Even when you become a Christian, your heart still lies to you. Did you know that? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Christ has forgiven me of my sin. My heart continues to lie to me. My heart continues to tell me that I'm better than what I actually am or that other people are worse than actually me or that if I do something, if I, you know, if, if, if I come to church three times in a row, and the person who normally sits next to me has only been here once this cycle of three weeks, then actually I'm better than them. Can you see how your heart does this to you all the time? 
James, James chapter 4, shows us another picture of our heart, and this is a very scary one. It shows us a picture of self. James chapter 4 and verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade there and make a profit. Does that sound like the conversation of business today? You heard people talking like that? Let's go to this country, I'm going to go on a business trip, make some money, come back, or go live there for a year, make some money, come back, pay off my house. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should be saying, if, it's the, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, what, so whoever knows the right thing that he should be doing doesn't do it. To him, it is sin. So here's, understand this. The Bible says that the heart, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you're bragging about how good you are and what you're going to do and how much money you're going to make and where you're going to go, and it's all about me, 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 it just shows how self-full the heart is. Do you get that? Self-full. It's just full of it. Our hearts are full of self. They're always looking at you. Your heart is always looking at you and thinking that you are better and that you need to provide for you and that your way comes first. You're like, well, that's not really me. Really? Put yourself in the shopping line. If this happened to me yesterday, oh, Friday, happened to me on Friday. Fortunately, I had some time, so I didn't do my normal thing and beat somebody up. So I'm standing in the line. <laughs> Don't do that normally anyway. So I'm standing in the line and uh, was at a, <coughs> at a shop in, uh, in Stutterheim, <clears throat> excuse me, standing in a line. The shop is packed. I only have to buy two things. Do you know the express tool? It's really just a joke, more like a suggestion than anything else. <clears throat> so, so I only have two things. One of them's a cool drink. I just want to drink a cool drink on the way back home. Excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. And I'm standing there, and there's two people in front of me. The first person buys, the next person buys, and I'm really, I'm just standing there. There's a person from our church in the next row, believe it or not, in Stutterham. It's another town. There's a person in our church. I say, hello, hello. hello. Say, as I'm saying, this lady just walks straight in front of me, not with two things, right in front. She just steps right in front of me. It's not like there's a meter of space here. She bumps me out of the way, and I'm just going like, you're just so lucky this person from our church is here. <laughs> anyway, so because I've been reading this book about the wickedness of my own heart and realizing how perverse I am, actually, I just go, Here's, yeah, this is a perfect example for Sunday, right here. I'm in that moment, I'm going, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know how long I've been here for? Can you see how I'm trying to stamp my rights? This is me. I deserve to go before you. I don't deserve to wait the three minutes it's going to take for me to pay for my things after you. Do you know what the irony was? I got out of the shop before her. You know why? Because she was about 80 years old. But yet in me, there's this thing of, hello, did you not see me? Uh, do you see that? Full of self, but you're the same. Imagine if you were, uh, you were really hungry and you hadn't eaten for a whole day and you made a decision that you're going to go to a restaurant, your favorite restaurant, and you were going to eat in that favorite restaurant. And, and as you go into the restaurant, you're really hungry, you're looking forward to that great meal. As you go in, a person who you know, who you've advised so many times to stop their bad behavior and bad habits, they see you and they're like, oh, no, I'm just so hungry, I haven't eaten for two days. Um, you know, I lost all my money again. And you've been telling them what to do not to lose money and they did it again. 
How many of us would say to that person, well, I'll tell you what. I, you know, I was going to get a burger over here. I'll go to bed without a meal tonight. You have my burger. The Bible says very few people will do that. You might do it for a good person. You might do it if your favorite uh, cricket player or rugby player had to say that to you. Like, yeah, yesterday was a tough game, man. I'm so hungry still now. You go like, hey, why don't you eat here tomorrow as well on my account? But for somebody who has done some wrong, you might, because you put yourself in front the whole time. Because your heart is full of self. Romans 3 verse 23 says, your heart is also lost. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and your heart is lost. It is evil, deceitful, sinful, full of self and lost. The other thing that James tells us about the state of your heart is it's fragile. It's like a mist that appears. Your life is, is a mist. It appears for a little while and then it's gone. And yet we think we're so strong. We think that we are so strong and that we, we are invincible. But actually the Bible says that our hearts are fragile. Matthew 10 verse 28 says, Be careful of those who kill, not just kill the body, but who also kill the soul. Be careful of that one. Because your soul, while you as a person are both immortal, you're mortal, you're also immortal. There's a part of you that's going to die. Your body will die one day. Your physical heart will stop beating one day. That day is going to come. But yet you'll continue to live. For those who are Christians, the Bible says that in, when you become a Christian, you enter into life. So you were going to die like everybody else, but when you become a Christian, you actually enter into life. Sure, you will close your eyes on this end and you will die. That's a door that leads you into life in the next. But if you're not a believer, you die in this life and in the next life, you'll have what's called the second death. There is no life for you. And so we, we're kind of in this in-between stage where we think we're going to be lasting forever, but actually we're not. We're mortal, but we're also immortal. Last one on your heart is that your heart is your biggest blind spot. Don't you just love the picture of the mirror? Your heart is your blind spot. Listen, if you're going to choose a rear view mirror or side mirrors for your life, don't use your heart. Because your heart lies to you about what things actually look like. Your heart tells you you're okay when you're not okay. Proverbs 27 verse 19. As in water face reflects face, so the heart of a man reflects the man. Be careful because your heart has a blind spot. So it's a massive problem. So for you and for me, here we are, evil hearts, deceitful hearts, sinful hearts, self-full hearts, lost hearts, fragile hearts, immortal and mortal hearts, big tension over there, and also blind spot hearts. All right, you ready? I'm going to close off in prayer. We can go home. You feeling bad? I can always throw on another six. <laughs> it doesn't matter how good you think you are. That's your heart lying to you. So the question is, can the heart be fixed? Right? Here comes the good news. Can the heart be fixed? The one who told us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all your heart. Well, Matt, what you've just been saying is that my heart is fractured. It is broken it is a bad blind spot. It is evil. And so, Matt, I actually don't have a whole heart. When the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, what happens if half my heart is broken? What happens if my heart is so sinful that I don't have a whole heart to love God with? What happens, Matt, if I've been hurt so many times in my life by other people? Other people have sinned against me that my heart is broken. Now I have to love God with all my heart. I, don't, I feel like my heart doesn't even have an all capacity in it. It's only half. Here's the good news. The good news is this. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes to teach in the temple. 
he opens up a scroll to the book of Isaiah and he reads out this text from Isaiah. And at the end of his reading, he says to those who are listening, he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today. He reads from Isaiah chapter 61 and this is what he says from verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken hearted. Jesus comes to bind up your broken heart. All the cracks that are in your heart, all the brokenness in your heart, all the sin that you've done, all the sin that people have done to you, Jesus comes to bind that up. And you know what the good news of this is? I don't know if you have in your house one of those old vases or one of those old plates that's been passed on by granny to granny to granny to granny to granny to granny. I don't know if you have one of those. It's been broken so many times. It's been glued with like every brand of glue that there is. And when you look at it, you can actually see all the lines. In fact, it's so fragile that if you have it hanging up in the lounge and someone's running through the kitchen, the kids are told to stop running because the plate in the lounge might fall off the wall. You might have something like that in your house. When Jesus comes and binds up our heart, the Bible says he doesn't just take some spiritual super glue and glue it back together again. The Bible says he binds it back together again, but he creates a new creation. It's brand new. He doesn't leave you with a fractured heart anymore, but his grace says, I will give you a new heart. It's worth more than the old heart. It's better than the old heart. I'm leaving you with something better. When I come before the cross and I repent of my sin and I ask Christ to come and change me, he comes and he binds up my broken heart and he gives me something brand new. That's good news, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but when I'm going through this over and I'm reading through this, I'm going, I am a wicked, evil, deceitful person. If that's what my heart looks like, this is who I am. And you know what the point is? That's truth. It's not just who I am, it's also who we are. But you know who he is? He's the binder of broken hearts. Luke 19 and verse 10 says, not only did Jesus come to bind up broken hearts, but Jesus also came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19 is the story of Jesus who comes to town. And Jesus is walking through town and everybody's pushing to get to Jesus. And there's this guy named Zacchaeus and we think he's quite short because that's what the Sunday school story tells us. And, and Zacchaeus climbs up the tree to see Jesus and, and there he sees Jesus and Jesus gets to the point underneath the tree, looks up to the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to come and have lunch with you. Or the Sunday school song says, I'm coming to your house for tea. I'm coming to, I don't know if Jesus drank tea. I think he was more like a coffee man, really. Anyway, he says to Zacchaeus, Today, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. You got some cappuccino there. So Zacchaeus comes down. They go to his house. Jesus ministers to Zacchaeus. They talk about the gospel. They talk about who Jesus is. They talk about sin. They talk about this man, Zacchaeus, who people hated. You want to know what broken heart must be? Here's a man with a broken heart. People hated him because he had become a tax collector. And as a tax collector, he would take taxes for Rome, but he was also, would also take taxes for himself. So he'd pay over money from his people to the oppressing nation, but then he would take more and line his own pocket with it. And if anybody complained about that, he had the full force of Rome to have that person arrested. Can you imagine being this man? He had no friends. People did not like him. Jesus is ministering to Zacchaeus, and it comes to a point where Zacchaeus receives this teaching. He repents of his sin. He says, I'm going to make this right. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house. And people are looking at him, they're going, what if Jesus knew who that man was. He would never be spending time with him. Jesus goes, I've come to seek and save the lost. Those who are lost, those who didn't even know they had broken hearts, I've come for their hearts. I've come to save these lost souls. 
Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, Jesus repairing these hearts, bringing new hearts, takes hearts of stone and turns them into hearts of flesh. So how he does this? In Acts chapter 16 and verse 14, there's a great example of where Jesus did this. It's a story of a woman named Lydia, and she's listening to the teachings of Paul. And this is what it says. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, this is expensive linen, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Yes, someone who has a stone heart who didn't get the gospel. She worshiped God, but she, she didn't know Jesus. She didn't know about forgiveness. She didn't know about the Messiah. And Paul's busy preaching, and God starts to soften her heart. God takes this rock-hard heart out, and he starts massaging life into it. And as he's massaging life into it, the, the, the rocky edges of stone start to soften, and the heart starts to beat. And as this heart beats, it's able to receive the word of God. It's able to receive the truth of the scriptures. It's able to receive the news of Jesus. For those of you who are looking in and asking questions and you're seeking it, you're trying to find the truth of the scriptures together, as you do that, what Jesus is doing, if, that's, if this starts to make sense to you, you're undergoing that process where Jesus is starting to soften your heart. That's what it feels like. That God has got his hand in there and he's just he's softening it like this. But then he doesn't leave you there because he doesn't just come and bind up your broken heart. He doesn't just come and call out to those who are lost. He doesn't just go out and make hard, rocky hearts soft. Listen to what he does then. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. God places his spirit into our hearts as a guarantee of our salvation. It says this, And it is God who establishes us with you and has anointed us and who has given us also and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Not only does he give us this information, but the spirit of God comes to live in our lives, in your inner being. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 onwards explains it a bit more. It says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, this is Paul writing, praying for this church at Ephesus, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that's your heart, so that Christ may dwell in your heart. So, strengthened with power in your heart, so Christ can dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lot said there, but watch this. Filled with the fullness of God. Have you ever seen what happens when you, you take a, a, a very small balloon and then you, you put it on the end of a compressor and then you switch on the compressor? What happens to the balloon? It blows up. It just, just bursts. You see, your heart, if you don't know Jesus, your heart can never contain the fullness of God. And so what God does is he, he massages life into that. He puts his spirit on that. Jesus takes up residence in that. You start to grow in your understanding of who he is, and he starts to put more of himself in, more of his understanding in, more of his knowledge in, so that we can understand the fullness of God. That the fullness of God may dwell in us richly. So how do I cultivate a healthy heart? This is the ending point. We're on the runway. Number one, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, protect your heart. 
says this, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. What comes out of your heart is your life. The springs of your life, who you are, what you do, the decisions that you make, is because of things that you've allowed into your heart. So the Bible says, NIV says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. What are you allowing in there? What thoughts do you allow to settle in your mind and drip down into your heart and become part of who you are? What are you reading? What are you watching? You've seen little kids, they'll go and watch like a movie that's got some like ninja stuff in it. All right, actually, little kids and grown men, they watch these movies with ninjas. And when they come out of the movie, they all think they're ninjas. Yeah, right? They're all like, why? Star Wars. Watch Star Wars. Everything's a lightsaber after you've watched Star Wars. Be careful what you allow in because it's going to come out. Your heart is the wellspring of life. Secondly, so one, protect your heart. Secondly, reveal your heart to a mature, mature spiritual mentor. That might not mean somebody who knows a lot about God's word. You're looking for somebody who's a mature spiritual mentor, someone who knows Jesus, so that you can take your heart and expose your heart to that person regularly. I think this is where the Catholic Church gets it right and we get it wrong, because we should be confessing our sins to one another a bit more than what we do. The Bible says confess your sins to one another. When's the last time you did that? See, if I find somebody who's mature spiritually, I can confess my heart to them. I can confess my sins. I can confess my hidden desires. I can confess what's been hiding in my heart that nobody knows because I've covered it up so well. But confess it. Keep your heart soft. Beware of hardening your heart. This is how you keep your heart soft. One, I've said already, confess what is evil in your heart. Two, repent of the sinful outflows from your heart. Three, seek out obedience before sacrifice and offering. Don't get confused between the two. Don't think that, uh, you know, everything's good with me because I tithed on Sunday. Don't think everything's good with me because I went to small group on Wednesday night. Everything's good with me because I put my hands up in church. Because then what happens is that as we're worshiping in church and, you know, we're like, oh, I've had a bad week. You know, I lost it with my my business partner over there and I fired someone and swore at them at the same time. So I just put my hands up in church so everybody thinks I'm okay. Actually, I am okay. Because you know what? You're looking at the mirror that says you V-shape when actually you're not. You're confusing yourself. You're, you're allowing your heart to come and lie to you again about your condition. So confess, repent, and seek out. And last one is anchor your heart to God. What does that mean, Matt? Luke 6, 21. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Anchor your heart to God. This is not me saying you need to bring more money to church. That's not what I'm saying. But the Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Your heart is always anchored to your treasure. And that may be your finance, that it's whatever you treasure. That's where your heart is. So anchor your heart to God. If you want to anchor your heart to God, it means take your treasure and throw it into God. Because your heart will always follow your treasure. If you want God to be, to be your treasure, take what's important to you and drop it into the fish tank that says God. Because the chain to that anchor will then anchor your heart to God. Your time, your treasure... Your talents, anchor that to God. It means this, that I'm going to take time and spend it in God's word because God's word is the perfect mirror. It tells me who I actually am. I mean, was it fun for us to go through these, uh, these eight pictures over here 
of uh, what our hearts looked like. Was it fun? No. Was it painful? For some of us, yes. It was painful as we went through those. Because perhaps as I was talking about deceitfulness, you could pick up some, you know, like, yeah, that could be me. That was me. That is me. But the other side is also it gives me a fresh perspective of who God is and an accurate perspective of who God is. That God is the one who comes to bind up my broken heart. I need to spend time in God's word. Anchor it to God. Anchor my heart to God. This is how we love the Lord our God with all our hearts and souls. I think that it's a good way to finish. To take just a moment or two. To listen to what God has been saying to us and to respond to Him. That maybe today you have to confess sin before Him, outflows of your heart. Maybe today you need to confess the state of your heart before Him. Maybe you need to repent of that stuff as well. Maybe you feel like Jesus, if He came to find the lost, you're busy playing a game of hide and seek with Him. And today's the day where you want to give your life fully to Jesus. That you want to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Bible says, and then you'll be saved. So let's bow our heads, and I'm going to give you a moment, and then I'll close off, all right? Perhaps you've been sensing the Lord speaking to you this morning. Maybe you just need a little bit of coaching on how to close this out. Just bring those things before Him. Confession just means saying it before Him in agreement. Yes, Lord, my heart is sinful. Lord, my heart has said that I am better than what I am. God, out of the overflow of my heart, wickedness reigns. Ask Him to forgive you. Maybe today you've been hurt by others and your prayers, Jesus, would you come and bind up my broken heart again? Maybe it's a bit of both. Jesus, I've been hurt by others. Some of it I deserved. But I've been hurt by others. But Jesus, some of it I deserved. But Jesus, forgive me. Bind up my broken heart. Take the pain and take the hurt. This passage says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. So I think it's a good way to close out to be, to respond to God physically as well this morning. And so if the Lord has spoken to you about this this morning, as you bring those prayers before Him, I'm going to ask you to stand where you are and just open your arms before Him. Just raise your palms before him in an attitude of submission as I close out and as I pray for you. I'm going to ask you to stand together with me as we stand here. Don't everybody stand. Just stand if the Lord's been speaking to you. As you stand your prayers, God, I'm, I'm standing before you today. I want my heart to bring honor to your name. I want to ask you to come and forgive me and cleanse me. 
I want to ask you, God, that you'd be honored. I want to ask you, God, to come and bind up my broken heart again. Father, as we stand before you this morning, we recognize that we can never bind up our own hearts. Our hearts lie to us all the time. Our hearts tell us we are what we're not. And so, Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and confess our sin before you. We repent of that sin and we thank you for your forgiveness again, fresh forgiveness and grace. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning. We thank you, Jesus, that you're not finished with us yet. God, we want to love you with all our hearts and all our souls. So I pray, God, for those who are standing in the name of Jesus, that your spirit would come and minister to them this morning. God, we may know not just your presence, but know how to bring honor to your name. As we spend time in your word, may it reflect to us your greatness and your goodness. Would you help us to deal with our shortcomings when that happens? Father, that wherever we work, live, and play, we would be able to bring honor to the name of Jesus. And out of the wellspring of our hearts, goodness would flow. In Jesus' name I pray. And those who agreed said amen.